What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. It's 4.55 a.m. in Humboldt County, and you're listening to Night Call. Welcome to Night Call, a podcast for your rain-soaked days and moon-soaked nights. I'm Molly Lambert, and joining me here in Los Angeles is... Tess Lynch, and guess what? That's all you get today. That is it! That's what you get! Emily Yoshida is in the snow at Sundance. She's been doing some really good reporting from Sundance on all the movies she liked. I'm just picturing her waist-deep in snow, trudging between weird branded opportunities. You have to fill in the gaps because she hasn't been giving us that visual content it's that true. we require. It's true. I feel like maybe she's also, Emily is a connoisseur of uh, of bad branded experiences, but I feel like maybe she's she's taken, taken a step back this year. From the branded experience? From the branded, <laughs> from the full immersion of yeah. the, the, the nightmare world. I'm excited for when she gets back and we can grill her on everything that is no longer embargoed. Yeah. We were going to talk today about... A documentary called Murder Mountain on Netflix. After disparaging true crime documentaries on streaming services, we're going to just talk about one the whole time. We shan't disparage today. We shan't disparage because we both loved Murder Mountain. I watched the whole thing and Tess is halfway through. And then we're going to talk about the madness caused by the sea. 
Mm -hmm. which is related to space madness, which I think we've kind of touched on before, but I got super into the idea of sea madness. Mm -hmm. And now I know when someone asks if I would rather go to the bottom of the ocean or to outer space, the answer is no longer so clear cut. It's a deep investigation coming up next. It's a deep dive. It's a deep dive. Can you tell how silly we're feeling? We're very silly. Then we're going to talk about food trends. Yeah. Uh, what's what's on the way out and what's on... It's called Food Moods. It's a new segment we're debuting today. What's on the way out and what's on the way in? Uh, let's start with Murder Mountain. Okay. So I am going to go ahead and say that so far I'm enjoying Murder Mountain more than I did the Sanyasin documentary, which I just referenced last week, I believe, when we were talking about if you can leave... Um, cooked dumplings out for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> oh, right. And you said we can't get, we might give people you salmonella. Know, I'm the only person who's concerned. I've had food poisoning. It's not pleasant. But also you don't want to eat a cold dumpling. Yes. But Tessa's main concern about serving food at our live show was that it might give people salmonella and then we would be. Didn't specifically say salmonella. We did say food poisoning. They're very different Be beasts. like uh, Sheila from Osho giving people. That's the thing. But she did it on purpose. We yeah, would be exactly. doing it accidentally. We're but... not going to do it because I put my foot down and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> We're only having Boston cream pie or a cake or something that's shelf-stable. It's crazy that you think Boston cream pie is shelf-stable. It is, because if you put enough sugar in something, it actually acts as a preservative. For milk? Yeah. You're blowing my mind. No, it's for real, because think about things, like, think about, you know, baked goods that sit out. I you think get, like, muffins, they have milk products in it. I think it's weird when they sit it. out It is weird, so but long. the sugar acts as a preservative. You can't do it forever. But you could do it for a good 24 hours. This is a great introduction to Murder Mountain because what makes Murder Mountain a great documentary is that it is about a variety of people who live in Humboldt, California, the weed growing capital of the world, maybe America at least. But it's very rambly and stony and features a wide variety of niche California dirtbag archetypes. I heard about this documentary from Willie Staley of New York Times fame and my brother, Ben Lambert, of Lambo Lambo fame. My brother told me to watch it because he was like, it's a true crime documentary, but it doesn't really get to the point very much. But in a way, in a, they really have a more compelling ambiance than I'm used to with such rambling stories. It's very rambling and everybody who's interviewed. Well, there's a lot of old hippies getting interviewed, first of For all. For instance, Douglas Fir. Yes, there is a gentleman named Douglas Fir. It is about the story of how Humboldt became the weed capital. And the story is essentially like... A bunch of hippies moved there as part of the Back to the Land movement in the 70s and built a nonagon-shaped building, a nine-sided building. For some reason that is not made clear, they were like, it had to be a nine-sided building. It had to building. be a nonagon. We all built it together. We there's, built it naked while wearing, uh, there's a bunch wearing of, tool belts I only. was saying there's like a bunch of photos of just like naked hippies. Seems like a very chill atmosphere. Yeah. That could not last because then the money started rolling in. Well, I mean, it's a multi-layered story because I think there's a certain type of man who ages to look exactly like Stephen King does now, where it's like, you know, it's just the untamed eyebrows, the untamed ear hair. It's just a very fuzzy caterpillar looking man. I'm very fond of this 
archetype. I, I am. Everybody was seemed very chill from the old guard. I mean, that is, again, maybe Tess and I are the boomers at heart of this podcast for totally sure. Are. But we were like very enchanted by the old hippie whose name was Douglas Fir. Douglas Fir. And then his friend whose name I forget. But Douglas yeah. Fir was the most charming. Douglas Fir was the drug smuggler who went, he went to Pakistan. Oh, yeah, that's right. And he got the seeds and they were sewn into garments and little like jewelry bags and stuff and brought back. But I think all of the old hippies kind of make the distinction of we weren't criminals. We were outlaws. Like we just wanted to be self-sufficient and we just needed to like grow what we needed and what we really, really needed was a lot of weed. It kind of starts in the way like Wild Wild Country starts where it's like we just like we were rejecting society and we had to start our own society. But I could totally understand where they were coming from much more easily than I could with Wild Wild Country. Oh, I wanted to join the Back to the Land movement immediately and just like build nine-sided buildings naked with a bunch of comrades. Yep. Seems fun. Grow all your own food. And then they were like, oh, and yes weed also one of our also a staple of ours i mean also i think they they made kind of a good case for the fact that a lot of people who served in vietnam came back and really didn't feel at home in society but were kind of just like peaceful wanted to like live in a community and they were able to find this like understanding community and then of course everything imploded with the war on drugs right it's like the idea of the first preppers of people being like let's go be self-sufficient and like live off the land and Seemingly, it went fine for a little bit. And then, yeah, the war on drugs comes in. Um, I was saying this is a lot like the there's the Thomas Pynchon book, Vineland, is kind of about some of this stuff. Uh, This was a great California documentary. Mm -hmm. Everybody, it's also about like, so it's a true crime documentary, technically. The true crime element is the fact that so in the Emerald Triangle, which is this um, specific area of Humboldt County, In the southern part, there is, I forget what it's actually called, but all of the locals refer to it as Murder Mountain because, I mean, first of all, the geography makes it really impossible to kind of, you know, find people who have been lost. And also people will come up for the harvest season and they already are kind of like drifters a lot of the time. Yeah, it starts with that, that there's like an economy of drifters coming in and out to trim weed because it's like a job you can take and like theoretically make a bunch of money in a year or summer or whatever. But Murder Mountain also has a really heavy like criminal component and everybody's armed and there are these guys on ATVs with, you know, their own guns. Even with when the police come up to Murder Mountain, um, these like they're almost like security for Murder Mountain will kind of escort the police and the police are like, "Eh, no thanks. So the police hate going up there. So it's kind of like this lawless area. Um, But it was interesting because when they interviewed some of the residents, like the, a lot of the missing persons posters are put up by parents and like a lot of the people who live up on Murder Mountain are parents. So these two moms were like, oh, hell no, we're going right. to find so this missing disappears. guy. That is the true crime element of Murder Mountain is a, a kid who went from San Diego. Ocean Beach. Ocean Beach. And it's also like this was very tragic, but also like interesting because so many true crime documentaries are about missing women, you know, where you see a million pictures of them and maybe some like video footage, but you like never hear their voice. And that was like this, but with a dude. And I wasn't very, I was like, oh, I'm so unused to this. Yeah. Like I kept waiting to be like, what is this guy like? And then it was just like, 
He was just a chill SoCal bro. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like he wasn't like perfect, but no. not, that, not that anyone needs to but be. But he was so San Diego. And yeah. whenever they showed footage of him, for the, all the stuff they had where there was like a tribute to him and it was like a sublime cover band. Being, yes, like, very sublime. It was all very sublime. And so that was funny to me just because it was not like funny that he was abducted, but funny, but like. There was all this stuff about the NorCal, like, SoCal divide, you know, where they were like, he didn't understand the culture around here. Yep. Well, also, it should be noted that Humboldt County, I think, has a higher percentage of missing people than anywhere else in California. That's what they say also. They're like, people come through all the time and people go missing all the time. So it's very hard if you're, like, pursuing a specific missing person. They were just like... And it's like a pretty small place, so they only have a sheriff and he's, right. it, the department is overextended or whatever. But this documentary also ends up being about the fallibility of the police. And Gotta how... go to the private investigator. Yeah, it's about how the cops don't do anything to help. Yeah, and also, I mean, the, the, the divide between the police and the residents is very, it's obviously pretty intense. I mean, they also showed a town hall where now the people who have been harvesting weed on the black market are trying to go legit and it's just cripplingly expensive. They're all losing all of their savings and they're doing it because they want to be able to not feel as though they're, you know, living under this threat that they're constantly going to be exposed and sent to prison or whatever. But it's so prohibitively expensive that they're just risking kind of everything they have. And I think the police have this animosity towards people who are in any way involved in the black market. So they were super dismissive of this guy's dad. They didn't want to help at all. So he had to go to a private investigator, which, by the way, quick pause. Molly, would you ever be a private investigator? Oh, I think we fantasize about this every day. Think about it all the time. Nightcall is a a PI firm. Would you drive around, though, be like... The, the private investigator yes, the dream. in this the is Rockford a great private dream. investigator. She is great. Yeah. Because that's what happens is then like a cool lady who wants to get to the bottom of things come in. It's just a great assortment of characters. Yeah. It's like a big ensemble, which I enjoy. I loved it. I'm also, I usually like don't admit this, but I've never been to Northern California. All right. I'm just going to say oh, I haven't really go. been to Northern California. You must go. I've been, I've been to Napa and that, that's it. That counts. It does, but Ish. it was like brief. I mean, it was super brief. I'm so deeply ashamed. Gotta see the big old trees. Now I just, and I've been to Big Sur, but I've never like really spent any, I mean, I've been here for however many years, what 20 Tessa's years What trying my to life. say is she's never been to San Francisco. Yeah, okay, me. I'm dancing around <laughs> it. Never been to San Francisco. But I've also, I've never like spent any like large chunk of time. I mean, when I went to Big Sur, it was for my honeymoon. So I just kind of like planted myself in a hotel yeah, and was yeah, like, yeah. But yeah. you saw the big trees, right? I did, but it's like I took one walk. You know what I mean? <laughs> Looking back, I have these pictures and Isn't I was like, that there's what that one to walk. Miranda on her honeymoon? Exactly. Sex in the She's like, I got to get back to work. Wait, I sort of remember this happening to you. There were, I have pictures on my computer <laughs> somehow. You had a problem being off the grid. I had such a huge problem being off the grid. I mean, it's, it really, that's what this documentary really kind of drove home for me on a personal level was I was like man look at them like they're just of the land like when I was out in that same beautiful majestic redwood forest I was like oh I don't know I mean they're not of the land because well that's what they get to I mean first of all it's all it's all stolen land yeah then they get to like it's being legalized which is what is so weird is then they're like now it's like this entire industry that's thrived because it's like an outlaw industry is going to go legit. And there's like the split between the people that embrace legalization and the people that are like, it's rigged. Like, right. 
we got to keep selling it on the black market to the rest of the states that don't have legalized weed still, and we can sell them weed. People say the word outlaw more than I've ever heard oh, anyone say Oh, it's so anything. much. I know. They say outlaw and vigilante. Mm-hmm. Every other word out of everyone's mouth is like, you got to be an outlaw up here. But it's like the Waylon Jennings kind of outlaw. It's not like the outlaw. They, it's a real like boomery outlaw that the yeah. boomers are talking about. And that's like that's the first thing that happens. Is like so the the hippies who like founded the commune and created the weed growing economy get forced out by this. Like once there's money involved, they get forced out by sort of like scary drug dealers. Yeah. I was telling my dad about this documentary and he was like, oh, I knew a woman who like moved to Mendocino or whatever to to grow weed on a weed farm and then left because she was like, everybody had to sleep with a shotgun at night. Yeah. And I mean, that's the other really crazy thing about this documentary is they go visit uh, a guy whose last name is Dookie. He's oh, a Dookie God. brother. OK, so, yeah, there's a secondary storyline about a guy who is like this horrible part of there's like this the new generation of weed growers are like the worst. Yeah. <laughs> California, like ATV. Maybe it'll be charming later, Molly. bros. No, it's so bad. Because that guy, they introduce him and then he immediately is a dick to like these workers. Well, he takes eight bong rips. He has three cups of chamomile tea. He's talking about how professional he is. Then his workers come with yeah, their Yeah, he's yield. like, I'm just a new businessman. Like, here I am selling my product that is weed. Yeah, I have to drink chamomile tea and take all my bong rips. Yeah, and then the workers come in. One second later, the workers arrive. Absolutely. He's not the professional chamomile drinker he pretends no, to be. No, he's a total a dick. dick to them. Yeah. And he's a white guy and he's a dick to these like migrant farm workers. And you're like, you need to. So they're pretty justified when they throw a rock through his window. Yeah. So then he's like a second later. That's also like that's a great part of the documentary because it's very relatable seeing somebody who's like clearly very stressed out be like, I'm going to smoke more weed and this will solve the problem. Yeah. So he does like five more. He's like, I guess I better take a big bong rip now to chill out. Ha ha. And he like does all these bong hits compulsively and then he just makes him more paranoid and weird and and they throw a rock through his window because he like yeah. blames them for his crop getting screwed up. And they're like, it's not our fault that like mold grew on your crop. And yeah, he's like, yeah, you it is. I'm not them. paying you yep. anything. It's gross. It's uh, super gross. So his name is like Jeff Dookie. <laughs> it's it's either Jeff or Mike or exactly that kind Something of thing. Like, and he's like, Dookie. His, it's the Dookie Brothers Weed Company. Yeah. Ugh. So he is another character. And then there are these two women who are just like local yokels who seem really cool. Well, They're one like, of them, it's a, she died before the documentary was completed yeah. or was made. So it's her friend talking. Her name was Sherry who died. And then her friend is kind of talking about how um, Sherry got interested in the missing persons case and kind of took it on herself to go do- stick in her nose where it didn't mm-hmm, belong. Mm-hmm. And they look like real... Like, just Dust Bowl. Love it. Love it. Like, those photographs of women in the Dust Bowl where you're just like, people have just been living in, like, like their mouths are just a line. Yep. They all look real craggy, we were saying. Everybody in this documentary kind of looks like a redwood. Do you think it's the altitude? I don't know. It's also the the style. I'm kind of embracing that style. The women all looked really cool. There were yeah. a couple of women they show. There's this one woman who's a grower who's so cool. Are you talking about pink hair? Yeah, oh, she she's so seemed cool. like really cool, right? Yeah. And then there was like another woman who they kept showing who had kind of like a big sunglasses and 
Oh, yeah. So that's the missing person's aunt, yeah. I believe. Yeah. She seemed also, I was like, ooh, what is her vibe? A lot of that? interesting faces. Just some good, like, kind of California weird archetypes. And then all these bros in, like, board shorts and Volcom hats who are the new generation of weed growers. Do you think that in 30 years... We'll look back on that and be like, look how charming and no, cool these guys. I will never find it charming and cool because it's like too. It's yeah, not. it has. There's, there's something you can't put your finger on. I have a high tolerance right. for like pop punk and yeah. like SoCal. But even I have a point where I'm like, that's too much SoCal. Hey, folks. If you love true stories about extraordinary life experiences, we think you'll love the Risk podcast. Risk is the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. Stories too uncensored for public radio. On Risk, nothing's too intimate or too strange. Like the one about the guy who got kidnapped by the drug cartel, or the girl who discovered she was living with a cannibal, or the woman who learned the person she was sharing kinky fantasies with online was her dear old dad. You'll hear real people sharing about life experiences so funny, so scary, so mystifying, you won't believe your ears. Find it all at riskshow.com or just search on your podcast app for risk. That's R I S K exclamation point or risk hyphen show.com. What's also really interesting is just kind of being in Los Angeles for this wild ride of weed legalization. You really cannot know what to feel guilty about if you partake in the business of weed. For sure, yeah. Well, and, they, yeah, this will make they, you feel this guilty. This documentary doesn't even really go into, like, it talks about the war on drugs a little bit, but it's like it's a pretty white documentary. So it's, a, it's an extremely, an extremely white, white documentary. documentary. So they don't. They they don't even talk. It's like some of these people being like, oh, yes, we were just outlaws growing our weed and like living our lives. It's like. Well, that honestly, I felt as though the the just how white it was kind of told its own story. I felt yeah. like it was intentional of just the the threat of what happens to you if you're a white person in yeah. California getting in trouble for weed is very different than yeah. you know, otherwise. So it doesn't even really go into that. It's yeah. just sort of about like the, speci- the specificity of like the Humboldt weed market. And then it's like, yeah, it's all like crazy like white meth heads with guns. And it's terrifying. It is. Because Murder you Mountain, hear gunshots constantly. That's what they show thing. you. It's like Murder Mountain is just like a bunch of crazy, tweaked out people with weed farms and shotguns, and they talk a lot about like everybody's like, oh, here's my gun, just got my gun out. Like, mm-hmm. like somebody shoots somebody later on in the documentary. Spoiler alert! Just because they're like, oh, he took his gun out like he always does, and the other guy was like tweaking out and thought it was a threat, so he shot him in the face. Yeah, and you're like, that probably happens a lot. Yeah. Everybody's really paranoid because they're like trying to grow a crop that like if it fails, they're going to go broke. Yeah. Uh, And there's a lot of like looting. Also, it was very painful to me to see the archival footage of the police in the in the I think it was 1983 was when they started using helicopters to find the farms. And the police would just come down and just harvest all the weed and light it on fire. And it just was so unbearably stupid. Yeah. 
Anyway, yeah. good documentary. No, I mean, I think I also like the war on drugs stuff, again, just to like put that stuff in historical context, especially now that they're like repealing weed or making weed legal to be like, yeah, yeah, but look what also pe- we did to people who oh, yeah. sold weed. And so that's the thing in the documentary, too, is sort of like the police trying to deal with like, well, now it's legal, so right. we have to help them. And then they're suddenly sort of interested in helping solve the case. There was at least one ex-law enforcement officer who expressed remorse about what had happened um, during the 80s drug bus and like how he had kind of been complicit in driving up the cost of weed and like making it a really unstable, whereas before it had been kind of just like this, you know, community of farmers who were trying to make enough money to live off of, but had turned it into this kind of like race of just greedy people and this influx of right, new They keep people. talking about the green rush. Yeah, the green it's rush. It's like the gold rush for weed. And they also talk a lot about like oh, all these stupid people come through all the time thinking they're going to like make all this money growing weed and like that's who disappears. Yeah. It's a fun a fun ride. It is. Six episodes. But you know what was not a fun ride? What? I tried to force Molly to read this really good essay. It's a little it's from a little while ago, but um I recently came across it. I think it was in long form. Uh, from Outside Magazine, written by a woman whose father was lost at sea. He wanted to take a solo trip. He was going from Puerto Vallarta to the Marquesas, and 26 days into his solo journey, he lost his mind, is what they think happened. Either he lost his mind or he was captured by pirates, but he was never found. Um, And it's a really, really great article. Uh, It's by Ali Carr Troxell. Um, and her dad's boat was the celebration. I think that he, even his blog from when he was like kind of maybe before he set off is still online. Um, oh, but, scary. You know, I know. And it's interesting. He was a retired psychologist. And part of what's really interesting is her kind of reflection on growing up and the fact that she felt as though he had, he kind of like later in life was pretty open about the fact that he had like, gone after this like white collar career and had the kids and had the house and like he'd always just really wanted to be an adventurer and so finally he got to an age where he was like it's now or never and everyone in his family was kind of like please don't feel it was a solo journey of that length I don't even know like how far he planned to go because the whole essay just overwhelmed well that's me. like you're like have somebody else on board who knows how to do that yeah but I think the whole point for him was that it was like this, you know, odyssey that he was going to, like, really test himself. And he started sending the weird texts, and they're all riddled with misspellings, and they just seem to be leaping all over the place. Being kidnapped by film company Deep South Black Cult took over steering, ship disabled. Being kidnapped by pirates and telling, you know, sending out SOS signals, telling his family to cancel the SOS signals. In his log, he had talked about on previous voyages, like, how he had hallucinated. So then I started looking into this more. There's a good Vice article about this guy um, named Josh Marsh who was lost at sea off the coast of Manila for, I think, 52 hours, which, like, in the scheme of things, doesn't seem that long, but he went through it. It was really, really cold. The tour guide jumped off the ship and went to swim for help and drowned. I guess, like, his first instinct, Josh's first instinct was to drink a bunch of rum (laughs) <laughs> and then was like, oh, no, what have I done? But he had, the like, hallucinations. He saw, like, cars and marinas. He thought that he was approaching a port. So he, he like, kind of wanted to, like, jump and swim. He thought it was close enough. And then he would kind of realize there was nothing there. 
Yeah, I mean, the idea of a psychologist going crazy mm-hmm. is obviously just scary. I've been watching a lot of Naked and Afraid, as I may have said on this podcast. Yes. Which I've been saying is like a great show because it's about people that think they'll be good survivalists. And some of them are even very experienced survivalists. And every episode I've watched, they're all like white people with tribal tattoos. Mm-hmm. And then they get into nature and they are immediately, by like day two, they start going crazy. Yeah. It's amazing because it makes you realize how fragile. Well, I think what's interesting about Naked and Afraid, especially when compared with one of my favorite shows, Alone, which I always talk about and still can't convince anyone else. I'll watch Alone. Well, Alone is your alone. That's what I'm saying. scarier than Naked and Afraid where you have to work with a partner. I think Alone on one season did something where it was two either family members or close friends or whatever. And they went and then kind of split off for part of it and then got together. And it actually seemed much more difficult than when they were completely isolated. Because I think not having a big group of people where you can kind of get a break from someone who's driving you nuts. But, you know, just having this one person, especially on Naked and Afraid, where it's a stranger, a person of the opposite sex, and you're naked adds a layer of, like, if you get the willies and you just don't like the way someone's relating to you, it probably makes you crazy because you just want to, like, kill them. Mm -hmm. Not literally. You're such an only child. You're like, I'd rather be alone in the woods. I would. I wouldn't rather be alone (laughs) on a ship. Although when I think about if you're on a ship for, you know, however long, 20 days and you're running out of food. What's the longest you've ever been on a ship? (laughs) Like an hour and a half. <laughs> Not long. <laughs> Have you ever so you know, done a cruise? No. Has Emily ever done a cruise? I feel like this has come up. We, we must know next time. I don't time. know. It's, I've been tempted. Know. Back in the day when we were working at Grantland, I felt like there were occasional PR emails of like a cruise. some kind There's of sponsored There's a lot of PR cruise. emails for a cruise. Again, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's how David Foster Wallace wrote that. Is exactly. Like, you're like, I can get someone to send me on a cruise. Yeah. Maybe. What could go wrong? Everything. Everything can go wrong. And then there was the poop cruise. The notorious poop cruise. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of really strong. Someone uh, close to me got very ill on a cruise and then was on the cruise for like several. Well, that's the deal. Several days being very sick, and there's like nothing you can do because there's not a real doctor on the ship. You just kind of wait it out. I mean, there's like a doctor, but like there's not a hospital. Or, like maybe it's like a nurse on the ship. Yeah, you're just kind of like needs to be a doctor. You on can't the ship. go home. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Unless no, it's real it's bad. Horrible. Maybe then you dock and fly somewhere. But I also, I've gotten seasick before. I mean, I'm just, I'm a very, I'm a fragile flower when it comes to travel. So maybe just the the ocean, you're not taken to the ocean. Well, I had no idea how quickly you could lose your mind on a boat. That's what Naked and Afraid makes me feel like, is just how quickly you can lose your mind without resources like water and food, obviously. Naked and Afraid was, was kind of floated with the hook of the people were going to end up making out because they were no. naked. Initially, when Naked and Afraid right. came out, well, that's what it, it was heavily implied. Naked. They're naked, but it beca- it's it's cool. Naked and it afraid to be alone. How quickly desexualized nudity becomes in those circumstances, or like any circumstances, if everybody's naked, it's just sort of normal quickly, right? Like at the commune, man. Yeah. Although this is obviously different because it's for a reality show. Yeah. So you're naked on TV. But you also see like that's the thing. Yeah. You're like, are th- is anyone ever going to make out? And it's like, no, because like sex goes down the hierarchy of needs so quickly oh, yeah. when you haven't like eaten, slept or had any water. Yeah. And that I guess also would happen on a ship. All you would be thinking about is water. If you can't have water and there's water, water everywhere. And not a drop to drink. <laughs> I know. I, for some reason, I think because we were talking about ship cats not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Then I was reading about, there's like a whole, 
section about uh, maritime fiction, and it was all like nautical fiction, a men's genre written what? about men, men at the sea. Yeah, and I was that's like, oh yeah, that's kind of true. If I think about it, like all the books about me- like the yeah. ocean are about men, men in the sea. It's funny because the ocean is so obviously a woman, right? You know, and also like women, women like to be at, at the sea. Yeah, look we- at Moana. Moana loves to be she in the was sea. Of the Did sea. you ever read True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle? Oh, you bet I read yeah, True that was Confessions a great, of Charlotte Doyle. The, yeah. the one book that gets mentioned is like nautical Man. fiction about women. So more women on ships. Yeah. More. Well, I guess actually. More doctors. More women doctors on ships. The Cardi B and City Girls twerk video that was like a ship entirely filled with women. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it, especially. Yeah, I'd go on them. My mom, uh, when she was a kid, went on a lot of cruises, and it was the first time she'd ever eaten an avocado. Was Ooh. on a cruise. Was it like full of shrimp cocktail? Probably. It may have been. That's what it I imagine. Probably all fifties food being like. Cruises back then exist in this kind of Does mythical she have fond travel memories thing. of the cruise. Oh, for sure. She thought of it as, like but a she game. also has fond memories of flying because, as oh, every person over a certain age, we had <laughs> stairs and a piano, and everyone was smoking. <laughs> And it's, I'm like, where great. Was, where was the piano? It was up in the piano bar. <laughs> Your parents didn't tell you this story. It had stairs, it had a piano, and everyone was smoking. The everyone was smoking thing comes up a lot because when Mad Men was on, they would just exactly. be like, it's so true. Like, people don't know how much everyone was smoking all the time. But I was like, we don't even know because we grew up in California mostly. Like, I was not. I was, I was in the car with the rolled up windows. A and chi- the yeah, yeah. Do you remember being like a child in New York? where everybody was smoking inside still? Yes, of course. I used to lecture people about smoking <laughs> when I was a kid because it was like, I guess that it wasn't newly discovered to be horrible for you, but they were really <laughs> drumming it into our heads in school. And so I would roll up little scrolls that said like, stop smoking, it's killing you, and put it in people's cigarette packs and then eventually, one of my parents' friends was like, you know, your daughter's you're an, super obnoxious. Your daughter's an eco-terrorist. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, I, I know. Like, it's yeah, cool, actually. The irony. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was really hung up on the idea of stairs on airplanes because I remember being a kid getting on an airplane and being like, where would the stairs go? Like up to the airplane? Like you go out to no, the tarmac? No, it's like, I, I, this was a legendary thing. Who in knows if it was plane? A, in the plane? Like a double-decker plane? We need a fact check. Everyone was like, there's <laughs> stairs. You go I've upstairs. taken the stairs up to the no, plane no, of at course. Burbank. This they, is an inside. You walk out on the tarmac. Inside stairs, Molly. So it's like a magic, like just a giant like yacht in the sky plane. Yes. And then also just a cruise being glamorous is very funny to think about. But also, yeah. like, that does sound lovely. Just, like, train travel. Oh, I love trains. Old train it's travel. the only way to go, man. I love trains. I'm trains. so overflying Sponsor now. night call. Oh, please. Amtrak, Acela Express. Did My, you ever take the Acela? Yeah, all the time. It was mm, great. I loved the it. The Acela. What a, what a lovely train. Yeah, I know. My mom, who finds flying a little scary, always has to think of it. She thinks of it as a train in the sky. And that's what I do. Isn't the trouble the in the sky part just yeah, but ruins if you just, the illusion? Yeah, but if you just pretend you're on a train in your mind, it's yeah. like you think less about it being in the sky. I'm always saying to people that I think it's going to be considered so ludicrous in like 10 years. We're going to be telling people about what flying was like now. And they're just going to refuse to believe that people spent thousands of dollars for You don't this think it'll experience. just get worse and worse? <laughs> I don't think it can. I, at this point, uh, granted, I'm like an extremely neurotic person, but I... 
I'm so close to just saying I won't do it anymore because, I mean, especially even in the past year, there's every day there's a new report of a horrible thing that happens on a flight and everyone's just like, you have no option. What are you going to do? And we're like, yeah, you're right. But I'm starting to think maybe well, I don't need to go anywhere. Well, that's why we're going to back train travel. Let's do it. And also other options, like maybe the Pony Express will come back. I don't I feel so bad for a horse. I mean, <laughs> so far. <laughs> what if we get robotic horses, Westworld? I'm down with that. Yeah. I could do that. Robotic Pony Express. Yeah. But I want to hear your opinion about the trends in food. Oh, yeah. I've been stewing on this. Well, maybe we could take the Robotic Pony Express up to San Francisco sometime and explore other trends in food. I would love to. Um, I mean, I but I'm so – the number of people I've lied to in my life being like, San Francisco is beautiful and I love it. I love been how you danced around it for so long. I haven't well, been to Northern California except the places I've been to I've in Northern California. I've never been to Seattle and you've been there. Again, it was it was so brief. You've also Doesn't been to count? Portland, where I've never been. I really liked Portland. Going there in the spring for the first time. Are Night you? Call Oregon. Congratulations! I'm so excited. Um, we would like to traverse uh, all of the Western provinces. Yeah, we would. The food trends of today and tomorrow. Food moods. Food moods. What is your prediction? You had a prediction. Well, first, you should tell your take about what's going out of style. Okay. I have noticed that every store that is opening and seeming seemingly bustling is a pokey restaurant. Still? I mean, I can't believe it's still going on, but I, I feel like I passed three of them, and it has it's such a specific I food feel like trend. the bubble has burst. I don't know. There's nothing against it, but I can't even believe it went on this long, and every time I see a new one opening, I'm just like, you must you must think twice. I feel about like it this. succeeded yogurt as the trend. I think that there was something else before yogurt. Well, I always think of Chipotle falling prey to its own E. coli, you know, as Anything being an that expands too quickly and yeah. suddenly there's a million of them. There's so many poke places that I can't believe they all stay in business. I was thinking we'd be at the, like, they're all being shuttered and the, like, That's what I'm saying. It's shocking. Do you like poke? I used to, but now on principle, I can't. You're like, there's too it's much. Too much of it. <laughs> it's it's weird to see. It's well, like, I think it's it's interesting for it to happen at a time when it's also like overfishing is. is it, that's what I yeah. It's I mean, it just doesn't seem sound, and it's and oh. it also seems dangerous to me to to just to rely play fish on, roulette. Yeah, to play fish roulette. I love to play fish roulette. I know, I know that do. it's bad, but I I just will eat. I'll eat the poke wherever. <laughs> it's not just fish. It's like a specific set. But I'm like, trying to think of something that the specificity is similar to, and I'm just coming up with like cream-based soups or something where you well, could not eat it every day. It's weird when anything becomes super crazy popular, like kale becoming a food trend so is weird. the biggest scam of the century because it's just like greens. It's just chewy spinach. There's nothing magical about kale. It's just like a, a tough green. Mm-hmm fine but it's weird for it to be in everything yeah it is um it would be, and then there's nothing has come in its wake that has been 
as much of a sensation. Not as hyped, except for the hatch <laughs> chilies at Gelson's. I remember I was working at Trader Joe's when kale hit, mm-hmm. and it was like right before that, it was aloe juice was the big thing. Oh, yeah, aloe juice. Aloe juice is also a very strange. I like aloe juice on occasion. It's slippery. It cleans out the insides, it I believe. Does. Well, it's like it's like a jello shot. But yeah, that was like everybody was buying that, and then all of a sudden it was just like kale, 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 yeah. and then never anything else ever again. But we're also coasting into the oat milk. It's just the oat milk. The oat milk dynasty. I don't know who big oat milk is paying, but uh, it has taken over all the other milks so quickly. I love when they like shame you at the coffee shop for like not knowing about the new milk yet. Do they do that? I always get regular milk. I always get the alternative milk. But I remember when it was like places where I ordered soy milk, they'd be like, sorry, we only have almond milk. Almond milk is just not thick enough. And now they're like, sorry, we only have oat milk. Oh, they whoa, they only have oat milk. Is oat yeah. milk ridiculously expensive? Uh, I mean, it's the same as other alternative milks. I heard that cashew milk is really good. Cashew milk is pretty good. None I mean, of these milks all the nut milks me. are bad. They're all bad for the environment yeah. because it takes a lot of water to grow grow the nuts. What do you think would be an alternative to the nuts to make milk out of? Well, I think about this all the time because really? I love milk and I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> so, if you could drink any, ki- if you could drink any kind of regular, like, whoa, are you, know you a what? whole milk? Oh my person? god, this yeah. brings me to the food trends. Okay, to the new food trends. Okay, so I got really into milk tea, mm. which is uh, the generic flavor of tea you get with boba tea. It's been around for a long time. It's not new because I always ordered other flavors of boba tea. I never thought to order just like the regular flavor. It's essentially kind of like a Thai iced tea style, like condensed milk and a lot of sugar and then tea. But it is everywhere. You can get it everywhere. Yeah. It's like it's having a boom time for sure. There's it's like having a, million a moment. New boba tea places opening. I remember the original boba wave. I'm not big into bobas themselves. Yeah, I don't like the chewy bobas. But the tea. It's like giant caviar. I've gotten really into the tea. It gets you so spracked. Yeah. And then I found out that it's basically always vegan. What? Because a lot of these places use coconut milk. Oh. So like, for example. Like coconut cream. Really. Yeah, coconut yeah, cream. Yeah, that's so like, the stuff. Because it, it's really good and it's got really good texture and... Coconut cream is probably like not the health. It's definitely not the healthy. It's, milk. Have you ever bought coconut cream? It's so good though. It's and, so good, uh, and it's technically non-dairy. So yeah. uh, milk tea, milk tea is my number one. I used to get the Coco Lopez, which is the can of coconut cream that oh, you yeah. used to make pina coladas. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. If you look at the back of the yeah, can, yeah, 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 you're like, sure, wow. Sure. Whatever. It's just incredible. <laughs> I was just, I mean, honestly, I was awed by it. I was like, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> That's not a lot of, that's call, not a big You know can. what? Everyone call in tonight, call. Give us a call if you have thoughts about alternative milks, old school milks, or food trends. Our number is 24046-NIGHT, or you can email us at nightcallpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, do you guys like milk tea? I turned to it as an alternative to coffee, and then I had to cut back on milk tea because it's too delicious. It's like very delicious and caffeinated mm-hmm. and much cheaper. Than most coffee. I'm confused because I just wonder why nobody's coming up with like just kind of a particulate matter that can lend a creaminess to water. A particulate matter. Well, I'm just like, is there nothing that we're throwing away that could be repurposed for making an alternative milk instead of having to grow a lot of I nuts? I think the truth about almond milk is that if you made something that was just like water and you colored it white, 
and you were like, it's a new milk. People right. would drink it. It would be fine. I'm kind of like, would it be terrible if it were made from paper? <laughs> it's ooh, like probably ooh, it would be. No, that, I think it's a bad no, idea. No, you know what? I think though? that might kill you. There's paper in a lot of stuff. There is paper in a lot of stuff. There's paper is a filler in like so much food. What about like the husks of corn? What about corn milk? Uh, you know when you kind of boil the husks corn and you boil the milk. corn? Oh, we like use the corn silk. You use the whole corn. We use the silk. We're like, you know the silk that people just throw away? We turn it into milk. We turn it. It's, it's silk, silk milk. milk. Well, it's there made. already is silk milk. <laughs> and then our spiders, cows are spiders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so oh, into it. Oh, I feel like there was somebody who was like using spiders to make milk. This You could use insects to make milk. You could do it. You could do it. You could do it. Don't what about spiders the, are going to take what over about anyway? That weird milk that comes out of plants sometimes. <laughs> There's milkweed. Milkweed. Now we're tying together our first topic someone, and our last and topic. And someone's going to call it and be like, milkweed is poisonous. If you drink it, you die. Yeah, it's only good for butterflies. Uh, monarch butterflies. I think it is maybe poisonous. Murder on milkweed Here, mountain. Murder on milkweed mountain. Um, the butterflies are are disappearing. It's uh, the other food trend. I don't have the name of the place because okay. I was just walking around in Koreatown and I observed a very long line for a place. It was at California Marketplace, which is um, a grocery store. And then there's like a mall on top of it. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been there? Yes. It's great. I think. Maybe with you. It no. is great. But there was a mall on top of it, like a place that had just opened. And there was like many places that all looked good. But this one place had the line like around the block. So I had to see what it was. What was it? It was corn dogs. Oh, I love corn dogs. Corn dogs are the new food trend. And Calling it now. No, it's a thing. It's like I think a Korean food trend that we are just now getting in America. It is not just dogs. A lot of it is like a fried cheese stick. Oh, I don't know about uh, that. I think you might like it. I was going to say, what if it had a like crab cake underneath? Ooh, that would, a yeah. seafood corn dog seafood definitely corn dog. is a thing. But yeah, check out the corn dog boom. Night call. You heard it here first. Corn dogs are the new poke. Nice. We are going to go to San Francisco and we are going to get you what I got last time I was there, which mm-hmm. is the 1980s hottest food trend, clam chowder in a bread bowl. I'm so down. That's my favorite <laughs> so thing. So good. Thanks for listening this week. We'll be back next week. Again, if you have anything you'd like to share, we're Free Jazz Pod, so you can call on whatever, 24046-NIGHT or nightcallpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, please give us a call or a night text to that number even or an email and get, tell us about what your thoughts are on trendy beverages, trendy food things that you like or don't like. Tell us about your haunted dreams. And we will be seeing some of you hopefully in a couple of days at our night call event at Gold Diggers Bar on February 5th at 10 p.m. It'll be, be one day as of DJing. the day this podcast comes out. It'll be tomorrow. Oh, you're right. Tomorrow. Clear your calendars because we will tomorrow, be there. tomorrow, February 5th, 10 p.m. at Gold Diggers. We'll be playing the hits. Probably some Steely Dan. Definitely some Definitely Steely Dan. Definitely some Steely Dan. Probably some ELO. Definitely some ELO. <laughs> Tess and I will be playing all the cool big chill hits. Emily is bringing some records. I think we might represent all the different forms of streaming media in mm-hmm. our DJ sets. Which... Including phone. Yeah. Vinyl. Phone, vinyl. And other. And other. Yeah. <laughs> CDJs. It's the holy trinity. The holy trinity. Of music. Pour out a little clam chowder for us. We'll see, see you soon. See you soon.
This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.